Hi everyone, Philip Sutka here. I have a small favor to ask. I recently updated the Dark River website and with it launched a new mailing list for the podcast. An email list is any author or podcaster's superpower. It's the most direct way that creators such as myself can connect with their audience. I have an exciting announcement coming soon and would like to share it with you first. And I'm going to need your help in launching this new development. So if you would be so kind... Go to darkriver.ca and access the hidden episode at the top of the homepage to sign up for the mailing list. Not only will you be the first to know about updates, but you'll also have access to a behind-the-scenes look at how I created each of the stories. If you try it for a bit and decide that it's not for you, you can easily unsubscribe at the bottom of any of the emails. Believe me, I will not take offense. I will just be so thankful that you were willing to give it a shot in the first place. So head over to darkriver.ca, access the hidden episode, and join the ghosts in uncovering the town's secrets before anyone else. And now, on with today's story. This story contains material that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you for joining me in this strange small town in northern Ontario. My name is Philip Psutka. If this is your first time visiting, I'll be your guide. If you're a familiar face, it's good to have you back. The town embraces newcomers and old friends alike, but be warned, it doesn't easily let you go. So dim the lamps, settle in. Welcome to Dark River. It would visit her in the night. She would hear it from her bed, shuffling towards the house. It moved slowly, as if winching itself across land, like an alligator boat pulling logs between lakes. But unlike the jolting movement of a machine, it would approach her house in a steady legato, like it was gliding along ice. It didn't come every night, and truth be told, she didn't know how she would manage it if it did. Betty was barely able to keep her wits about her, knowing that she would likely see it again sometime soon, let alone have to face the dread of a nightly guest. That being said, the unpredictable nature of it also caused her great unrest. After all, if she knew for sure that she would have to greet the visitor each night, at least she could be prepared, perhaps even find a way to make peace with it. But it set the schedule, and she had no say in the matter. Tonight was one of those nights. Her eyes snapped awake before she even heard it, like guard dogs that sniffed a predator a mile away, and her breath quickened, anticipating its approach. And then... Yes, there it was, that slow, steady shuffle. During the winter months, she could hear it carve a path towards her through the snow, though she never found any tracks in the morning. Not that she expected to. 
She could see the moonlight pouring through her window and the silhouette of the shops down Main Street. Fighting the dread, she crossed to the window and looked out. It was there, as it always was, ready to greet her. The shuffling stopped the instant she peered through the glass. It was standing in the moonlight, silently watching her, waiting for her. It beckoned to her with a large, scooping gesture. Forcing herself to turn her back on it, Betty returned to bed. Once she had heard it right outside her window, but she had closed her eyes tightly and refused to acknowledge it. Tonight, however, it didn't approach the house, and when she peeked out through the glass again from her bed, the moonlight tumbled unbroken into her bedroom. It was gone, for now. It always came back. She awoke early, for she had a busy day ahead of her. Valentine's Day. It wasn't usually a big cause of celebration for her. After all, Robert wasn't really the romantic type, although he did try. Flowers from the neighbor's garden, stolen discreetly, of course. No, her day was filled with helping others celebrate in Dark River. She owned her own business, Betty's Bakery. With thoughts of love in the air, many turned towards sweet gifts of affection. While she was famous for her pies, she focused on producing massive quantities of small cakes and dipped chocolates for this occasion. Somehow, people would pay more money for smaller things on Valentine's Day, probably because they were cute, especially when dressed up with a red bow. Her bakery stood on Main Street next to Arnold's Dry Goods Store, just down from the Harmony Theatre. It was a prime location and gave her good business, especially with the theatre crowds. She was a town favourite and knew most people by name. She had been baking up a storm in preparation for this year, for on top of all the extra stock she would normally require, there was another event that was giving her substantial business. A mere few weeks ago, Jim Barker had come into her store and told her that, for the first time ever, he would be hosting a Valentine's Night at the barn. Betty had been providing most of the goodies for his annual Barker Halloween Corn Smash, which had just had its 10th anniversary this past October, and with the constant turnout year after year being such a success, Jim thought it was high time that he started a new tradition. Folks around here need something to lift their spirits in the dead of winter he had said to her, while admiring an impressive black forest cake she had on display. What better than a night of love and merriment at the farm? Betty couldn't help but agree to provide all the treats for the evening, and it was only after he had left that the sheer size of what she had just committed to dawned on her. It would take her close to a month to prepare for the corn smash each year, and February 14th was less than two weeks away. She had dug in her heels to produce a staggering amount of baked goods in record-breaking time. Cupcakes, chocolates, mini pies, heart-shaped cookies, 
rugula, strudel, Krantz cakes dipped in raspberry to create a red and chocolate swirl, and so much more. Disappointing Jim Barker or the people of Dark River was not something that Betty Miller planned on doing. Ever. And now the day had come. Jim would stop by with his wagon at 10 a.m. sharp. Betty arrived at her bakery an hour early to do some last-minute preparations. She was in the back room, packing up the rugula, when she heard the bell above her door ring, signaling a customer. Sorry, I'm closed for today, she called out. No response. Great, she thought, a stubborn one. Best just to sell them whatever they were looking at and get on with her day, and then be sure that the closed sign was fully displayed. How did they even get in here, she thought, as she crossed back to the front room. She seemed to recall very clearly locking the front door. I don't have much in the way of... Her voice trailed off. There was no one there. Yet she was sure that she had heard someone come in, and most definitely did not hear anyone leave. And there was something else. She could have sworn, just for a moment, that she heard a creak, like an old rope under heavy load. The long days of preparations for this evening's party must have gotten to her. Still, it gave her the creeps. She would need a good long sleep tonight to recharge. Jim arrived shortly before ten, and they loaded up his wagon before heading off to Barker's farm. On the ride over, Jim was as animated as ever, talking about the evening, the preparations, the guests. He had hummed and hawed over whether or not to make it family-friendly or keep it to an adults-only occasion, but at the end of the day, he just couldn't turn away kids. It was obvious to Betty just how much he loved hosting these gatherings, so she reminded herself to expect more busy times throughout the year, as he would surely find many other occasions to host these parties. And what's a party without cake? Jim's voice trailed off as her mind wandered off to another Valentine's Day. Long before she met Robert, there had been another man in her life. She had tried to tell herself not to expect anything from him when February 14th came around each year, but he never disappointed. Todd was a romantic at heart. Flowers, chocolates, the whole nine yards. One year he even created a treasure hunt for her through his garden, for he loved to get his hands dirty. Betty couldn't help but let a sly smile grace her lips, as she remembered just how true that statement was, both outdoors and in the bedroom. She could still feel the warmth of his all-encompassing embrace, for he was a tall man with exceptionally long arms. She had been madly in love with Todd, and was convinced that he was it. And he might have been, if not for... You all right there, Betty? She came back and found herself sitting in the wagon next to Jim Barker. Of course, she said. Why? Oh, nothing. Just look like you forgot something important is all. 
she assured him that she had not forgotten anything for this evening, and, satisfied, he resumed his jovial detailing of tonight's festivities. A cloud blew across her mind once more as the memory crept upon her. She could still hear the rain, still feel the creak of the floorboards under her feet, still feel the weight of the silence that had descended upon the house, still hear the echoes of her own voice calling his name again and again, still remember the fear that he had disappeared and left her alone, still... No, no, not this. She couldn't go back there, couldn't walk into that room one more time. But she could just as well tell a river to flow upstream as stop the image from flooding her memory. She had never seen a body suspended before, like a full-sized marionette. The weight had stretched him. Instinctively, she had burst out laughing in horror, for what else could she do? They had gotten into a row, the largest one they'd ever had the night before. The topic had come up numerous times, but never this serious. He wanted kids. She didn't. It was time, for they weren't going to remain young forever. It was not, for they had each other. What more did they need? She was just scared of the commitment. He just wanted free labor to help him with the chores. She was being a lazy hag. He was being a selfish brute. He had hit her. She had left without saying another word, and she hadn't intended to return, and she wished she hadn't. Her world stopped in that moment. Her hand found its way to the locket around her neck that he had given her the year before, and his voice floated through her mind. Betty. Betty. We're here. White appeared in her vision again as she returned to the wagon, now parked in front of the Barker farm. Betty, Jim's voice. He was still sitting next to her, outright concern fogging his face. Got lost in my thoughts, is all, she replied. Wouldn't like to be having the thoughts you were by the looks of it, said Jim. You sure you're all right now? She quickly brushed him off, conjuring up her biggest smile as she jumped down from the wagon to begin unpacking. Thankfully, Jim didn't press her for more details, especially as to why she had been clutching her locket tightly in her fist nearly the full ride there. The rest of the day flew by, and they had just managed to get all the decorations up and the food out when the guests began to arrive. Gatherings at Barker's were always a grand affair, and as people came bustling in with massive smiles plastered across their faces, Betty remembered why she always agreed to Jim's crazy last-minute parties. She even allowed herself a genuine smile. Robert would be along and the two of them could afford to relax a bit for the rest of the night. Tom Bigar gave her a wink as he was setting up with his fiddle, before popping one of her cinnamon hazelnut rugula into his mouth and launching into a jig. He was one of the regulars who came into her bakery as much for the conversation as for the cookies, and she had gotten to know him quite well. Odd fellow, but friendly. 
She also spotted Bill Francis, the technician at the Harmony Theater in town, and gave him a wave. She was more a client of his than he of her, as she went to every single concert and traveling performance that graced the stage of Dark Rivers Theater. For what with the success of her bakery, and Robert's reasonable salary as the manager of Dark River Train Station, she could afford some basic luxuries, such as live entertainment. The music carried on, and the dance floor filled up. She was tempted to jump in herself. There would undoubtedly be many who would be her partner, as she was an iconic figure at these events. But she would wait for Robert. She was standing by the front door, watching for sign of her husband, when she heard a shriek. Looking around the room, however, she couldn't see any indication that anything was wrong or that anyone else had heard. It must have come from the dance floor. There it was again. No, it wasn't coming from anyone around her. Betty stepped outside to listen, and the next scream made her jump. She quickly looked back to the party. When it was evident that no one else had heard, she knew that she had no choice. She hugged the side of the shop, hoping to stay in the shadows as she approached the barn. It didn't help that the moon was full and lit up the yard, but there was nothing for it. She would have to cross and hope that she wasn't seen. A guttural wail cut through the night air, and Betty dashed across the yard towards the barn. She had no idea what she was going to do once she got there, but someone was being murdered, and she had to act now. She was just about to sneak into the barn when she heard the woman cry out a man's name, and she stopped dead. She was shaking now, but not with fear. Yes, it certainly was Valentine's Day, after all. Carefully stifling the sound of her laughter so as not to disturb them, she turned away from the barn and saw something at the far end of the field. At first, she was sure that it was a moose. The long figure silhouetted in the moonlight was obviously large and very still. It took only a moment, though, for her to realize that she knew the shape all too well. It stood, cutting through the skyline, its long arms and lean figure black against the stars. There was no running from it. She now understood that she could close her eyes to it night after night, but it would keep coming back, and trying to dream it away would only bring it closer and closer to her. Against all her instincts, she walked across the field towards it. She could hear the shuffling as she got closer, and see the long arms swinging as it glided over the field to meet her. Everything within her screamed to turn and run, but she fought it with every bit of determination she had and kept pressing on towards it. When she was almost close enough to see its face, she stopped. It kept coming. Thank you for listening thus far. 
In a moment, we'll return to the moonlit field. But first, I'd like to let you know that we have new original spooky stories coming every three weeks. So follow the show on your favorite platform so that you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy your time in this haunting town, please consider leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you're new to town, thank you for jumping in with our most recent work. The podcast and the town are continually developing and growing, so feel free to shout out a comment or drop me a private message on our Instagram, at Dark River Podcast, to let me know what you love and would love to hear more of. But now, let's face the long figure. When she was almost close enough to see its face, she stopped. It kept coming. I know I didn't give you what you wanted, she said. The shuffling stopped, and the long figure froze in the moonlight. With a shaky voice, she continued. I know you wanted... More. I just couldn't. I didn't mean to... I was always going to come back, and... Now her eyes were burning, and her words bubbled up as if from a cauldron. And... I'm sorry. Her voice gave out then, and hot rivers streamed down her cheeks. The black figure stood, watching her. This was her chance, perhaps her only one. Carefully, she removed the locket from around her neck. The figure's head twitched as she slowly let the locket slide between her fingers. Now it was dangling from its chain over the white sea of snow. A bellow erupted from deep within the blackness, and the figure tore across the snow towards her, just as the locket slipped from her fingers, fell through the air, and landed in the snow. The long figure was nearly upon her when she raised her foot and brought it down onto the locket. The world instantly went black and silent. It took her a moment to realize that her eyes were closed. Slowly, she opened them. The field was empty, save for her and the moonlight. She took a deep, shaky breath and exhaled slowly. Goodbye, she whispered, before turning and crunching her way through the snow back to the party to find Robert. It was Valentine's evening, after all. A perfect night to rekindle love and let the past go. An hour or so later, Henry and Owen tore out of the shop, chasing one another while grabbing handfuls of snow to rage an all-out winter war. The taller one, Henry took a snowball directly to the side of the neck before scooping up a mitt full of snow and packing it tightly. Narrowly avoiding another missile, he whipped around and retaliated. Owen took it directly in the face, and Henry's laughter only subsided when he saw Owen with his face in his hands, bent forward, blood running through his fingers. 
Henry hadn't felt any ice in the snowball when he had formed it, but perhaps he had packed it tighter than he thought. When Owen took his hands away from his face, red-stained snow fell away, and something else. It flickered in the moonlight as the boys bent down for a closer look. The locket had opened, revealing an old photograph of a man with wiry hair and long arms folded across his lean chest. He was smiling, but there was no warmth in it. Caught in the locket's spell, the boys didn't see the tall black figure in the moonlight. They only heard the shuffle of large feet behind them just before the long man stretched out its arms to enfold them in its dark embrace. This has been a tale from Dark River, written and hosted by me, Philip Pasitka. I also produce the show, as well as compose the music for it. The podcast artwork was done by Chris Pasitka. Though based on actual history, this story is a work of fiction. Any resemblance to persons living, dead, or other is entirely coincidental and unintentional. Thank you for stopping by and happy Valentine's Day.